This episode is provided to you by Clara Labs. Clara Labs is making it easier for you to focus on the things that matter by providing a 24-7 virtual assistant to handle all of your scheduling needs. Here's how it works. All you have to do is CC Clara in your email thread, and Clara will take it from there. Clara is responsive, reliable, and simple to use. For more information, visit www.claralabs.com. Today, we have our guest, Emily Hayward, who's a partner at Red Antler. Red Antler builds brands for companies that are changing how the world works. Before becoming a partner at Red Antler, Emily was a strategic planner at DRC, a strategic planner at Saatchi and & Saatchi, and an account planner at JWT. She was also the director of strategy at Consortium. I'm Emily Hayward. I am one of three partners at Red Antler. We're a branding company that works with startups, and we founded the company in 2007 and have been doing this and growing this ever since. Awesome. How'd you guys get started? So I had started my career in traditional advertising and there met one of my partners, JB. So he and I started out, we were young, we were working at Saatchi and Saatchi, big Mm. global agency, working on big global brands, got to be friends. I left Saatchi, went to JWT, um, was working on De Beers. It was a really interesting experience, but started to hate myself (laughs) after about a year (laughs) for a lot of different reasons. And at that point, reconnected with JB, he had been hired to start the New York office of a New Zealand agency who wanted to expand to the States. So I thought that sounded extremely fun and exciting. I also couldn't believe that I was hauling my ass to Midtown every day, working (laughs) at this huge corporate agency. And JB was like at this cool office in Soho running his own thing. And I was really jealous. And I basically started a campaign of harassment to get him to (laughs) hire me to do it with him, which he eventually relented because I was just so damn persistent. So we were doing that together um, for about a year, and at that point also got connected with our third partner, Simon, who's also from New Zealand, very small world on that side of the world. So we met him through the New Zealand connection, and the three of us were working on all kinds of shit together. Um, But during that time, the startup scene in New York was just bubbling up, and JB and I were meeting all these amazing people starting amazing companies. And saw an opportunity to take everything we had learned working on big global businesses and apply it to actually growing and launching new things. And eventually we realized our interest lay much more in that realm than in doing, you know, big ad campaigns and split off, formed Red Antler. Simon at that point was still running his own thing, but, you know, he did our original branding for Red Antler. We were all teaming up. And JB and I were really approaching it more from a strategic new business perspective. Simon was really our creative arm. And eventually we realized it made more sense to officially join forces. So that happened in 2010 when the three of us officially became partners, but we've been working together since the beginning. And, you know, from day one, our focus was really on how do we take an insight driven strategic approach to launching new things? Hmm. So how do you do that? Good question. (laughs) So I think One of the main tools that we can bring our clients um, in terms of process is strategic rigor. You know, I think that when people are starting something, they have so much passion. They have so many ideas. They have so many reasons why they're doing what they're doing, and they're all extremely compelling. Mm. And what we can do is really help them from day one focus into what's the core problem that you're really solving for people 
And how does that then translate into a compelling brand idea? And then obviously there's magic in the execution of that. And that's the part that's hard to really deliver a playbook on. You know, I think that the way that we then bring that to life comes from the fact that we have an extremely talented team who's able to find new and surprising ways to convey ideas through language and design. Um, You know, it's harder to sort of say, here's how you do that, right? But I do think always starting with strategy and making sure that everything that you're doing is really driving home that core focus is something that any team can implement, whether or not they've got, you know, a staff of designers on their side. Hmm. So, so how often have you guys come across an instance where the problem changes? Because you talked about making sure they're solving the right problem and then telling the story around that. That's a great question. I mean, I think that when we say the problem that they're solving, we really push that to be on a deep emotional, like, why does the world need this level versus a more functional, you know, oh, people wish they had a product that did X, Y, and Z. You know, it's really more about what's missing from people's lives. Like, why does this business need to exist in the first place? And I think if, if you approach that from a sort of deep enough, global enough perspective, that that's not really shifting. That's kind of your whole reason for being. So mm-hmm. unless the business massively pivots, in which case it probably needs to rebrand anyway, that stays consistent. Now, on top of that, there's a million problems that you're solving for people every day, and that's where you start to get into more functional features communication and, you know, how do we want to iterate on exactly what our product is? But at a brand level, in terms of like those deep connections we want to form with people, that should not be changing as a business launches and grows. Gotcha. So like when a, when a business comes to you guys, how thought out is that? Like how, because I was, when I was talking to, I was talking to part of JV, um, I referenced like psychiatry. And I, I remember when we worked with you guys at Alley, it felt you guys are trying to get into our hearts and into our souls and like what is our life the metaphysical like yeah yeah <laughs> so how 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 solid how rigid how defined is that when they come to you i think that typically a team knows it but they can't yet articulate it right. you know i think that we probably wouldn't be attracted to work with entrepreneurs who are in it for the wrong reasons. And by the wrong reasons, I mean, they're not trying to solve a real problem. Like to me, the best entrepreneurs are doing what they're doing because they've recognized that there's a problem, there's a need, there's a gap that their business can fill. But what's interesting, something that I've noticed over the years of doing this is, you know, it's one of the very first questions that I ask people, right? What problem are you solving? They almost always answer with the solution. Mm. Like they almost always like you guys might be like, oh, we're solving the problem of a great co-working space that people where people can meet and connect and form a network. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the answer. That's not the problem. And that makes sense, right? Because you're spending all of your day focusing on what you're building and you know why but I think what we can do is help people to take that step back and think about but why is this really important to the people who we're trying to reach and and almost in a way be the voice of the customer Mm. in the process and keep driving home like okay you know you've got your eyes on the prize and you're focused on operations and scalability and all the things an entrepreneur is thinking about, but we can be there being the voice of saying, but why do people need this and why are they going to care and how do we get them to care? Mm. That seems like it's a real challenge, especially if you guys aren't in line with the product. Like if you, because you're, you're trying to tap into the voice of the customer, what happens when you're not the customer? Like how do you, how do you get, are you an actor? 
and you role play to an extent? I think there's some of that, you know, if there are cases, we are often, you know, just by the nature, this is probably actually a, a bad thing about the types of businesses we're launching. I think we're often pretty close to the customer because a mm. lot of people are launching businesses for the like, quote unquote, you know, urban tech savvy millennial. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, shoot me in the yeah. um, But... The cases when that's not true and we're really trying to go after people who are outside of our daily experience, we'll do consumer research. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we're actually getting in front of the people who the business needs to serve and not just making it up. And I feel like that'd be really easy for you guys, especially, well, I should say really easy, but uh, one of your value props in the sense that everyone I've spoken to on your team communicates really well. And you guys are all sort of... Uh, Approachable. You guys are all very approachable. There's, a, there's a warmth to all of you, um, which makes it easy for us to sort of be vulnerable as entrepreneurs, as founders who are holding our baby and we think we know what it is. Uh, <laughs> so we, we have to try to unpack it. No, it is like therapy. People have said that to me many times. Yeah. That first kickoff meeting, you know, it feels like therapy. We're asking really deep-seated questions. And it's you don't so often get the opportunity to sit down and really ask yourself those big questions. I mean, we have the same issue with our own business. Like mm. we're running a million miles an hour, you know, me, JB, Simon have different responsibilities, different things that we're in charge of it. We don't do it enough. We don't sit down enough and ask ourselves like, why are we doing this and how are we serving people and what do our clients need? You know, we, we even need to do that more for ourselves. Mm. So how do you guys now as a team, you, JB, Simon, um, and I guess everyone else, how do you guys divvy up roles now that you guys are, was it six years since Simon joined, but 10 years since yeah. you started? Yeah. yeah. Wow. You're good memory. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in the beginning we were all doing everything, right? Mm -hmm. I went to every single new business meeting and you know, JB and I were sitting there like talking through client challenges together. Um, so obviously as we've grown, that's changed tremendously. And, you know, JB's focus is really on, I'd say like red antler strategy mm. as well as business development and our relationships with entrepreneurs, the venture community, um, partnerships, kind of building our network, that kind of thing. Whereas Simon and I are both much more involved in the day-to-day -day with our clients and in that respect, I lead strategy, messaging, positioning, and everything that kind of falls under that. So naming, and I work very closely with the UX team, mm -hmm. and Simon leads creative development. But he and I are working hand in hand because strategy and creative are so intertwined. So, you know, he and I spend a lot more time together during the day than we spend with JB. Mm -hmm. So how did that, how did that relationship or the, the, I guess the assignments, if you will, how did that come to be over the, over the years? Was it, was it organic or was it like, did you guys sit down and said, JB, you're doing this, Simon, you're doing this? It was pretty organic based on our backgrounds. I think that, you know, if anything, when we were smaller, we were all kind of stretching outside our comfort zones in right. a way. And now we're probably actually like back more into our niches. But, you know, I think that what I've found is when the three of us still do make the time to sit down together, like it's always magic, you mm -hmm. know, and we need to, we need to make sure that we're still doing that and that we're not just in our silos, mm -hmm. you know? 
So as, as you guys grow now, how hard do you find that um, becoming? Oh, it's way too hard. Yeah. Way too hard. You know, we actually met up on Sunday just because we nice. were like, we've got to like, just spend a couple hours together outside of the office because, you know, everything here, it's like our clients are, of course, our top priority, right. you know, and I've got a team I'm managing. Simon's got a team he's managing. JB's calendar is like nuts. You know, it's just, it's tough. So... You know, we try to meet up every week, mm -hmm. um, which we're pretty good about, but we should be doing it more than that. And you guys are right now just in New York, right? Or We are, but almost half of our clients are in San Francisco. Really? And, so then, and then we've got clients all over the country and right. some even global, but we have a huge base of clients in San Francisco. Mm. So does that mean you guys are flying back and forth on a regular basis? I'm there once a month, mm. going next week. <clears throat> so that, I imagine... How does that client work with that distance? Because we were fortunate enough to have you in the city. And even though Brooklyn is another country, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a pain to get. I think Manhattan is the other country at this uh, point. Okay, we can, that's, that's a different <laughs> podcast altogether. <laughs> that's a completely different one. Uh, so how, how do you guys do that? Like, how do, you, um, how do you maintain the relationship with the client? How do you guys tap into the heart of the client remotely? It ends up being pretty seamless. Mm. I think that I'm out there enough and our clients are willing to come here enough that we're together for the key meetings mm. and then and the in-betweens, you know, it's phone calls, it's video conference, but we're doing that a lot with our New York clients too, you know, and I, I feel like I end up seeing my San Francisco clients almost as much as my New York clients. Okay. <laughs> um, just because we spend so much time, you know, over there. Got it, got yeah. it. So I guess now, now that you guys are in your 10th year, when you look into the future, what are you? What are some of the things you're most excited about? Um, you know, I think that we haven't grown just because we're like, oh, we want to be big. You know, I think that we've grown because we've purposely built out specific disciplines mm. that can deliver on the promise that we always knew, which is that a brand is more than a brand like identity or traditional corporate identity, right? A brand is more than a logo. A brand is the entire experience that you have with a company. And I think that's something that we've actually been saying from day one, but as we've gotten larger, we've been able to bring on like a brilliant industrial designer who's now leading a team and can help us figure out, you know, innovative packaging and not even that, but like the form of the product itself. You know, we've built out a digital team, which, you know, back in the day was like one dude. And now we've got, you know, engineers and we've got UX people and we've got, you know, people with that focus. And we now have an amazing woman on board who's, you know, coming from the startup world and can really help our clients think strategically about launch and growth and acquisition. So to me, it's just about, it's not even about our mission shifting. It's just about us getting better and better about delivering on that holistically and really providing everything our clients need to be the winner in their space. So in providing those things, you're also adding to the team, which you kind of just described. Um, how do you guys think about structuring the team so that you can provide the best value to the customers and then also, um, I guess, see into the future and, and address issues? Yeah. I mean, I think it's work in progress. Yeah. You know, I think we're actually, as a company, undergoing a little bit of a self-reflection period because it's so easy to just well I mean it's obviously a privilege but it's easy to just keep growing if you're doing well right, right. keep hiring people and not force yourself to take that step back and make sure that you're also getting smart smarter about how you work you know like I don't want to just keep adding heads 
and not think about how process needs to evolve and how right. we can continue to be efficient and frankly affordable for startups because that's our focus and that's who we want to continue working with. So we're now going through a period of, you know, is our process the right process now that we're the size that we're at, now that we've got the teams that we have and now that we can deliver, you know, much more holistically on what we're setting out to achieve and, you know, TBD, what that ends up looking like. But I think you have to force yourself to ask those hard questions and not just kind of fall into here's how it's done here. Hmm. So do you ask yourself those hard questions? Like as Emily balancing your, you live in Brooklyn? Yes. So balancing your personal life in Brooklyn, balancing your work life, um, do you ask yourself the same sort of questions, like how you need to restructure things, how you need to um, double down? Because I, like, I was here yesterday. You guys were here till it's, it's, it felt like you guys were still going to be here till nine. I was not here till nine. <laughs> well, yesterday. you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw Simon and uh, yeah. and Bo. They yeah. looked like they were they were going to no, be totally. here late. We had a big a big presentation today. Okay, I respect that. Um, I really well. Those are sort of two different questions, yeah. right? I mean. I really want to get to a place where everyone on our team has the balance that they need to be happy. Mm. And totally candidly, I don't think we're there, you know? And I think that it's driven by a lot of really good things, right? It's like we work with startups, so guess what? That means budgets are tiny and timelines are crazy. Um, But again, back to the question about us reflecting on our own process and how we work, I think we have to find ways to do work more efficiently so people can leave at a reasonable hour because I think that's critical. And it does not make me happy when I see the team burning the midnight oil. I'm not like, oh, wow, everyone's so dedicated. I'm like, (laughs) fuck, what are we doing wrong Mm. that our team has to stay late? We've got to fix this. Mm. Like, it makes me very unhappy Mm. when I see that. Mm. I don't think of that as like, oh, everybody's so dedicated. I'm like, no, it shouldn't be this way. People should be able to go home. A part of me does enjoy that, though. Seeing the team, like, just cranking. Yeah, because sometimes I think you need that. Sometimes it's, um, I'm sure you have your days where you go home at 5, you go home at 4. 5 or 4, never, but yeah. (laughs) Maybe not not you, but in the the world. Yeah. Um, And then it's almost like you're building up your reserve for awesome to be deployed at... Okay. I like that. And I like the fact that everyone, our team cares so much that if it's not great, they're going to stay to make it great. Right. But I want that happening. Like you say, once in a while you're building up towards awesome. I don't want that to be the norm. Right. Like I don't want to burn people out and I don't want to have a culture where it's expected that most nights, you know, you're going to be here past like dinner time. Right. I just, that doesn't make me proud. Hmm. I'm certainly proud that we have people who are so dedicated to their work that they're going to stay and make it awesome. But I want us to find ways that we can do that during what I would consider like normal working hours. Cool. 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 Um, and in terms of myself, I mean, obviously what I'm saying probably indicates that it's important to me to be home and spend time with my wife and my friends and, you know, Obviously, there are times when you need to work over the weekend, but I like having a weekend and I like being able to decompress and, you know, unwind. And I'm definitely not someone who's like ever on my phone when I'm with other people. I think Mm. it's so fucking rude. Like Mm. my phone is away. Like it's not on the dinner table. Like, Mm. you know, I, 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 I take that stuff really seriously. So how do you keep track of the time? 
why do you need to if you're having a good time? Why do you need to keep track of the time? I Where do you have to be? That's a good question. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had a situation where I had dinner on a Sunday, and I had a meeting right after dinner. Okay. So I have a similar policy. When I see phones on the telephone, everybody, hey, let's, let's stop what we're doing. Let's put the phones away, please. Um, but I wanted to make sure I, I wasn't going to meet this, miss this meeting. And I was a little bit of a conundrum. So I thought perhaps there was like a Maybe you need a watch, a trick. Uh, which right. I don't have. A watch. But you could also what, what set, a, you could set an alarm <laughs> yeah. or ask the waitress to tell you. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Ask the waitress to tell me what time it is. Yep. Ask her to nudge you when it's mm. 7 p.m. So I meet up with her before. Like, hey, heads <laughs> yeah. up. I have to get going. Yep. Just come by Drop and tell me. Drop the check at 7. I love that. Yep. I love that. See, those are those little life hacks that <laughs> yeah. come with just talking to people. <laughs> so, you know, in the, in the process of working with all these companies and growing your business, have you ever thought, this might be a really personal question, have you ever been, uh, I guess, presented with an opportunity to join them um, as you as Emily or to bring Red Antler into the organization? Oh, that's interesting. Um, Because you guys are beasts. You guys are like, you guys are, brand is, so and I hate to cut you up, but I want to like really get this out. There's the enterprise value of a company and then there's the earnings multiplied by the multiplier and brand is like one of those really key multipliers to bring that in-house, to have that sitting right across from me every day. Yeah, no one's ever made me an offer. Okay, yet, <laughs> until after this. <laughs> um, you know, I think very early on we had a client who did end up acquiring a design firm. Like, okay. we were working with them, we launched them, we, their team exploded in size very, very quickly, and they ended up, exactly as you're saying, recognizing that they needed this as an in-house capability. And I don't remember if we ever even had a conversation with them about it, but I think they knew that that was not where our interest lay at that point. You know, we were just getting started. We were so excited about what we were building. Right. And that was probably the moment in time where we would have been a size where it could have been feasible for someone to bring us in-house, but we never would have considered it. You mm. know, at this stage, I mean, we're, we're way too big, I yeah. think, for someone to see us as like a reasonable, you know, for a startup to acquire us. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that I get to work on all kinds of different businesses. That's actually what keeps me energized and motivated. And I think what makes me good at my job, there's a reason why I never went in our industry. We call it like client side. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was back in like traditional advertising, you know, one of the paths to career growth is to go client side. Like the money tends to be better. Um, there's a perception that the frustrations are lower because mm. you're actually in the seat of power. But I never had any interest because I didn't want to double down on one thing. Hmm. So you said there's a perception that things are better. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. What is that perception? And you, you said it almost as though there's not like it's not real. I think that there's always like a grass is greener kind of thing. I think that, you know, people on the, let's call it agency side, service provider side tend to think, oh, the clients get to call all the shots and, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to them and we're Mm. just doing what they say. I mean, I don't think feel that way at Red Antler. I think our clients really respect us, but you know, at the end of the day, it's their business, right? If they don't like the work we did, they're not going to use it. Whereas I think that on the flip side of that, you could argue that like, we got to spend all day only on the fun part. You know? <laughs> That's definitely true. I mean, you know, it's like, and, and, and also, you know, as much as 
we want to be a good partner to our clients and have their problems be our problems. Their problems are not really our right. problems. Like there's a certain point where, you know, they're responsible for the numbers, the growth, that you know, all the headaches of of operating a business, and and we get to be the creative part of that. Yeah. That's- so. You get to you get to lick the frosting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I love that. That's really awesome. So uh, to switch gears a little bit, um, you, you know, when you talked about scaling and you talked about growing your, your your org, what is what is something you'd love somebody to build uh, that would help you guys be even more awesome? Is there like a a thing mm. you wish somebody made? Yeah. Well, I think we constantly, and I'm sure this is true of every business like ours struggle with visibility, project management, um, you know, how to just have everybody have access to kind of conversations and files, et cetera. So we use Basecamp, which I think is actually an awesome tool, mm-hmm. but, and, you know, and then we're using Harvest for time tracking. Like there's, there, there are a lot of great tools out there and, you know, by no means am I saying that they're not doing what they do well, but I do think there's still a need for, some kind of project management tool that's missing right now. And I can't, I, I'm, I'm not so deep in the operations, so I can't tell you exactly what it would do, mm. but I know that there are things that we struggle with as an organization that it would be awesome if someone built it and, and, and helped us with it. So have you guys thought about building your own products? Yeah, we've talked about it. And again, it's one of those things where it's just like, finding the time, finding the focus, you know, our client work is so all encompassing, but I think that if we were able to carve out a team to work on something, we'd be able to identify like absolutely a core need we could solve. Mm -hmm. So, um, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned while running and growing Red Antler? Great question. Well, one is that I think even probably more often than you think you need to step back and think about the big picture. Mm. You know, I think that we've had years where we're doing that more and we've had years where we're doing that less. And, you know, obviously you don't want to constantly be planning the future and forget about the day to day. But at the same time, I think it's much easier to get lost in the day to day and lose sight of where it's heading. The other lesson I would say that we've learned the hard way is making sure you hire like a second layer of leadership as soon as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And it's tough because those people are expensive. Like people who you can trust to truly delegate to, they they cost money. Those are people who have experience, experience that you don't even have, right? right? Those are people who know things you don't know. And I think we just due to the fact that we never took funding and, you know, we were kind of, just doing what we could with the money that we had took too long to bring on people who could really help us think about our business strategically in a way that we weren't even equipped to do. Mm. And we now have it and it, it's fucking life changing yeah. to have those people in the room, to have a management team. Yeah. But it, we waited too long. You waited too long. Huh? So like, do you think you should have raised you? Do you, if you could have done this again, knowing what you know now, would you advise the, the, the greener version of yourself to raise capital and do everything again? Mm, no, because I think part of what's led to our success is that we've been able to make decisions without right. an investor breathing down our neck. But um, 
I think there are probably like, again, thinking about big picture versus day to day, there were probably like day to day, get the work done hires that we were making that we could have maybe allocated that money towards a more like senior level hire who mm. could have then helped us think more efficiently about who we needed to be getting the work done, that kind of thing. Mm. Mm. I mean, I have no regrets, like, of course. you know, but in terms of a lesson, you know, everybody told us, everybody, like 25 to 50 is the hardest jump you'll make way more than like five to 10 or 10 to 20. And even though we heard that, we didn't like, we didn't prep for that. And I think the reason 25 to 50 is the hardest jump you'll make is because that's the, that's when you get to the size that you can't just count on like everybody knowing what everyone else is up to and shit getting done. Mm. Like you have to start putting process in place and thinking about team structure and leadership and scalability and like, you know, who's responsible for whom and, you know, director level positions and, and all of that stuff that you don't really need when you're 20 people. Right. Right. It's one of those things also, I think, perhaps in this community where there's, uh, I'll speak for myself, there's a little bit of resistance to adding that, those hierarchies. Totally. Yeah. Oh, totally. That yeah. was a huge part of it. Like, <laughs> we love being flat. And, exactly. you know, we don't want a bunch of titles and layers, exactly. and, you know, but, but you need it because you can't effectively manage more than like what five six people what's the yeah. rule there's a rule I think it's like of seven that people. right seven people yeah so that just means there's a bunch of people running around who aren't being given the tools they need to like thrive and grow right right it's also uh you know there's a simon Sinek talk about millennials oh i heard about this yeah. jb was telling me about this <laughs> so i didn't listen to the whole thing but I, I i have a sense of where he's coming from yeah this idea that we've sort of coddled uh, we're the coddled generation. Sure. Um, and as a result, we don't think that there should be this de facto leader who's like barking orders and steering the ship. But I think when you are a very people oriented business, um, you need that person or you need those people to just make that decision in the meeting. And like you guys are debating, you guys are arguing, it's fun, it's, it's fruitful, um, a lot of learnings are coming out of it. But I think you need that person to have the final word. I think you need the final word. I also would say there's a benefit to it, which is having someone who's looking out for you, right. like who cares specifically about your career development and what you're doing That's all day point. and how you're spending your time right. and that you can turn to if you're, you know, either have too much work or too little work or whatever else it is. Like you need a manager. And, you know, I understand there are people who are like, oh, I don't want a boss, whatever. But for me, like, the bosses who I've had in my life are like the most influential, amazing people in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you keep in touch with any of your bosses? Oh now? yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like my first boss is one of my absolute best friends. Awesome. Her kids were <laughs> like my, uh, ring bearers in my wedding. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how does, I guess that, that, that leads to my next question then. Have you had any mentors or any, any, uh, I guess they have mentors, folks who've helped, guide you or direct you or tell you not to go in a certain direction? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she absolutely, in terms of my management style, I'd say primarily was an incredible mentor because mm. right out of the gate, right out of school, I had this amazing boss who like knew when to step in, knew when to let me do my thing, um, gave me just the right amount of autonomy and also, you know, never like took credit for the work I did, you know, like she right. just, she, she was just an excellent boss. And I think 
that's helped me as I've become a boss think about the kind of boss that I want to be and the kind of support I want to give to my team. So she's been amazing. And, you know, then I think on the Red Antler side, on the business side, we had some clients really early on who were really instrumental in helping us get off the ground Mm -hmm. and had faith in us and also were building businesses of their own and being able to see how, you know, they were as entrepreneurs and and also the way that they integrated us into that process was just transformational. Hmm. So my, my last question here, um, where do you see yourself in the next five years, 10 years? (laughs) Broaching on metaphysical now. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I would like to still be doing this, Mm. you know, it's not like I'm like, oh, in five years, you know, I want to be off on an island somewhere. You know, I love the work that we do and I'm so proud of what we built. And I think that we're still on the journey. Um, But I also know that my role within that is going to need to evolve. You know, it's going to happen. And and that's hard too, right? Is like finding ways to evolve your own role, to let go of things that right now I might have a very heavy hand in. Right. Um, So that's a constant, I don't want to say struggle, but it's a constant evolution for me is just like, how do I continue to evolve as a leader of the company and, and let go of things that I probably shouldn't be thinking about Mm. every day. Mm. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is fun. It's always great to see you too. (laughs) Yeah. Ditto, ditto, ditto.